Well, good morning. Aubrey uh, took a second to introduce me as, uh, and Esther as a part of the founding of this church. Uh, I'll confess that I've come to that role very reluctantly, as Aubrey will testify. Uh, having started two churches in our past and not showing that the, sure there was a third church in us. But it is so wonderful to be a part of this body of Christ and honoring him here. It's just such a fantastic thing to look across this room to see what's happened in three years. Uh, I am a majority owner and president of a company called Good Wealth Management. And what we do is help families to uh, work with their wealth. And so for a long time, I've thought a lot about money and wealth as a Christian. And so I want to share some of the things that I think I've learned and some of the script from the scriptures and from experience in that regard. Uh, I'm going to preach to you about a topic today that is near to the heart of Jesus. He spoke more about this issue than about faith or heaven or most other topics. What I'm referring to is the Christian relationship to money and possessions. Maybe I should be less presumptive and say a Christian's view of relationship uh, to money and possessions. One of the things that appeals most to me about our church, the Church of the Incarnation, is our effort in seeking to live out authentic Christian faith in our contemporary society and culture. I think Aubrey talks a lot about that. Living as authentic Christians has everything to do with our money. You cannot claim that you are placing God first in your life if you're not placing your money under his lordship. It is often said that there are two things you should not talk about, politics and religion, but the topic of money we hear very little about in the church other than it's now time to take up the offering. Well, this morning I'm venturing into the topic of our handling of our money from Monday through Saturday, as well as what we do with it on Sunday morning. Now, you and I live in the most materialistic society that's probably existed in the history of the world. We are bombarded with advertising that says blatantly, you will be happy only if you have this car, this house, these clothes, this hair treatment, this vacation. We are told that a credit card will offer us freedom and the good life. This message confronts us every day, our children, our grandchildren, and ourselves. The message that material things make us happy and fulfilled is a lie. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Things like food and clothes and happiness and contentment. What does the Bible say about money and possessions? What does God want us to know to help us with our money and our things? I will highlight three principles, uh, two distortions, and four applications. I'm kind of a numbers guy <laughs> about how we will handle our money. The first principle is this. God owns it all. In Psalm 50 that we just read, For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Our God is creator of all. He is owner of all. What we have or what we think we own has been given to us by God. When the Lord led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he promised them possession of a land he would give them. The biblical point of view is that the land was God's to give and God's to take away. God gave them a land and eventually took the land away from them as the story of Israel later unfolds. Not only are our possessions ultimately owned by God, our ability to earn money comes as a gift from him as well. Deuteronomy 8 says, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. So the Bible says that God really owns all that I think I own. It also says that God is the source of my ability to work and earn money. Furthermore, God warns me that he will punish me if I, live, if I forget him. He'll judge me if I act as though I own my possessions. God will destroy me if I live as if it's my ability and my ambition that has gotten me to where I am. And you say, wow, that's scary. I don't think I like this proposition. This set of rules is not the way I want to play the game of my life. I cannot accept a God who holds everything in his hand and punishes those who forget that this is really the way it is. But hold on, there's more to the story. The second principle is God is a generous God. Our God created a world of abundance. God is outright extravagant in his creation. Take a morning walk. Listen to all the birds. Hundreds of species, thousands of birds, uh, producing a symphony of sounds in praise to their creator. Look up at the sky on a dark, clear night. Astronomers tell me there's billions and billions of stars. Now, if I were creating the universe, I'd figure a few million would probably be about enough. But God makes an extravagant abundance of birds and stars and flowers and animals in the world he has created for us. Bringing it back down to us. When the Lord brought his people to the promised land, he said in Deuteronomy, The Lord will establish you as a holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. In the land he swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. 
God not only owns it all, he, God gives it all. God gives to us generously. God gives to us abundantly. God gives to us freely. He desires the best for his creatures. I think this means physical as well as spiritual blessings. It's right and good for us to work hard to get an education, to enter a profession, to follow a career, to start a business. It is a blessing from God to have intelligence and energy and vision and ambition. It's a good thing to have a desire to improve our economic circumstances. But we can never forget that these abilities are a gift from God. Our ambitions must be formed and molded by God's priorities and values. We will find contentment and joy only when we enjoy his gifts in a proper relationship to him. If we do not own what we think of as our possessions, then what is our relationship to these things? Are we thieves of God's things? Are we trespassers on his territory? Are we drifters and aliens in this life, indifferent to money and things? Should we be passive when it comes to wealth and ambition? The Bible has an answer to this question, I think. But before I get to the third principle that unifies these two, I want to describe two distortions that sometimes arise from what I have said thus far. One distortion is to presume on God's generosity. Sometimes this is called the prosperity gospel. You name it and you claim it. God promises me prosperity if only I ask and have enough faith. After all, Proverbs says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. But, what about Jeremiah the prophet? What happened to him? He was sawn in two for being faithful to God. Or Stephen, who preached in, the deacon who preached in Jerusalem and was stoned to death. Or Christians in some Muslim countries who lose jobs and possessions because of their faith, if not their very own lives. God calls each of us to obey him and follow Christ. This does not mean automatic prosperity and easy street. When you read the Proverbs, I think you should view them as observations about life from a very wise man who deeply understood the way God works in our lives. These sayings should not be interpreted as an ironclad promise from God. I think these sayings in Proverbs are describing a proven a truth that is proven time and again in our lives that more often than not these things happen. I see this truth proven time and time in my business of assisting families who have accumulated some degree of wealth. I, I remember about three weeks ago sitting down with a client, and he, he and I have known each other before even before elementary school, and uh, God's blessed him, and and uh, and and. And he's blessed me, and we looked at each other and said, how, how, how could we imagine that, you know, how many, 40 years ago, that we could be in this place? And, but he, he, he's a man that calls me up every now and then and says, I want to make this gift of stock to this charity. Uh, they're frugal and they're diligent. They've done uh, the right kind of things in their life, and God is blessed. So I think that's kind of what Proverbs is saying. But having said that, it's a sin, I think, to presume 
on God's generosity. The second distortion is in regard wealth as always evil. Before we dismiss this distortion, we must spend a few minutes looking at what Richard Foster calls the dark side of money in a book he wrote back in the 80s. It was titled Money, Sex, and Power. It's now, been, it's now called the, discipline, the Challenge of the Disciplined Life. I kind of like the old title better. In the parable of the shrewd manager that Aubrey read to us, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. It is one or the other. You can't put both first in your life. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and follow me. Sorrowfully, he turned away because he was rich. He couldn't part with his wealth. The love of money, Paul tells us, is at the root of much evil. Money has a way of taking over our lives and commanding our loyalty. Money wants to be an idol. It often brings heartache and trouble. We must handle money like we handle dynamite, very carefully. Money wants to take over. That's what Mr. Foster talked about as the dark side of money. And we must take that seriously. But as we do, it's easy to take the next step into asceticism and regard all wealth as bad and inappropriate for a Christian. I've struggled with this question. In my 20s, I, wasn't so, I was not sure at all about all this. And maybe even today. It is okay, to, but I think it is okay to save money, to have a 401k plan, to have more money in my checking account than I need for this day. Do you recall the parable of the foolish rich man? He harvested such huge crops, he decided to tear his barns down and build bigger barns. And he said to himself, I have more than enough now to sit back, eat and drink and be merry. I have it made. God said, you foolish man, your life is going to be taken from you tonight. And all this will do you no good. But notice something in this parable. Jesus did not condemn him for having barns in the first place. He was condemned for his self-centeredness and for hoarding way more than he needed. It's okay to store up for the future. It is wise to save up for the inevitable rainy day. Money saved up for retirement or for a business investment is generally a wise and good thing. Eric read Proverbs 21. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. I think it's wrong to regard all wealth as evil. So how do we bring these two principles together? God owns it all, and God is a generous God. The third principle is we are stewards of our possessions. We are stewards of our possessions. The biblical concept of our relationship to money and possessions is best conveyed by the old-fashioned word stewardship. What does this word mean? Stewardship does not mean a fundraising campaign at church to raise money. No. A A steward is a manager of a household or an enterprise. Have you ever been asked to serve as a custodian for a child or a disabled person? I have a client who is a custodian of a significant sum of money payable to her son from a life insurance policy paid out after his father was uh, killed in Iraq. Is one of the three or four folks from Harrisonburg that actually was killed in that war. She is responsible to the court 
as a custodian of the money for his benefit. She cannot use it for herself and is held accountable for the use of the money for the child until he is age 18. She is a steward. A shrewd, the shrewd manager in our parable this morning was a steward. He was responsible for the proper management of the rich man's wealth. He was not the owner. He was the custodian or steward of these possessions on behalf of the real owner. In the creation story, God creates Adam. He gives him dominion over all the earth and instructs him to care for the garden. Following Adam's footsteps, we are stewards before God of the earth, our children, our money, our energies, our abilities, and all the possessions God has given us. Stewardship implies freedom and discretion. God doesn't give you an exact plan for how your money is to be spent for a car or a shirt or a new pair of shoes. The Bible doesn't say whether you should decide between a career in accounting or engineering or teaching. God wants you to exercise your judgment and wisdom based on biblical truth and godly counsel from others. Stewardship asks, what does God want in this particular situation? What are his priorities and values? How do, how do God's priorities differ from my own selfish interest and the values of my culture? Stewardship also implies accountability. In that the, the, uh, the rich owner in Jesus' parable got wind of the fact that the manager had been irresponsible and perhaps dishonest in the management of the estate. So the owner called him in to give, to give account and to basically tell him, you're going to be fired. To say that God gives us discretion in the use of money, which car or which pair of shoes, doesn't mean that he's disinterested in how we exercise stewardship over our money. God cares a great deal about how we spend our money. I cannot build a wall that's to separate the money part of my life from the Christian discipleship part of my life. I cannot talk Christian words on Sunday or in small group and then spend my money as I want. So, the Bible teaches us to take our money and possessions very seriously. Especially in the United States, where we're so well off compared to the world, we cannot be indifferent to money and wealth. But taking seriously our responsibility for our money and our jobs and our possessions does not mean that we hold on to them tightly. I've heard a story about how some folks in India catch a monkey in their area. They cut a small hole in a gourd just large enough for the monkey's hand. Inside the gourd, they place a small fruit that's highly desired by the monkey. The monkey reaches in, and he grasps it. Now the hand holding the fruit is too large to slip out of the gourd. As long as he holds that fruit, he's caught. If the monkey were willing to release the object, then he would be free to run away, but he doesn't. God calls us to hold our possessions lightly. We are to hold them up to him and out to others with an open hand. The moment we close our hand around our possessions, we're caught in the trap of materialism and discontent. Mammon has become our God. We are disobedient to Christ. We are not following in the way of a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Christ offers his, his or her possessions to be used, used by God and for the benefit of others. A disciple does not treasure possessions. And I've met both kinds of people. Those who treasure it, everything just perfect, 
and those who've used them up for the sake of the kingdom. I think that's the point of the, the parable this morning. It's a weird parable, isn't it? Hard to get your hand around it, head around it. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is all that about? Maybe these words, they may seem a bit strange, but I think this is what Jesus is saying to us. If you have been blessed with some degree of wealth, use it for kingdom purposes and God's work. Bless others. Be generous. Use your resources to further God's work. Be a good steward of what God has given you. You're blessed. Bless others. I think that's the message of that parable. So, so far I've talked about three biblical principles to guide our understanding of our relationship with money and possession. God owns it all. God is a generous God and we are stewards of our possessions. You may be thinking, that's all well and good, Mr. Good. But how can these principles make a practical difference in my life? How can I break the hold money has on me? It's not just those who have it, but it could be those who want it, who are worried. How can I master my money rather than money be my master? How can I serve God rather than money? How can I stop worrying about my finances? Let's change the focus a bit to talk about applying the principles a bit. First, got four very simple ones, at least Theoretically simple. Uh, First is to pray. If you've been blessed with some degree of wealth or income, offer your possessions and income to God every day. Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give away all he had and to follow him. Emotionally and spiritually do the same before God on a regular basis. I frequently ask God to help me remember that my business is really his. I ask his help to do well with it as a steward under his guidance and to his glory. I need a reminder every day. If you're worried about the bills that are piling up in your prayer, ask God to help you seek his kingdom and for him to provide for your needs. Jesus said, do not worry about what you shall eat or drink or wear. Your heavenly father knows you need these things. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you believe this? Can you take Jesus at his word? Esther and I have been in both sets of circumstances in our life. And I know that he answers these prayers. I believe that with all my heart. Secondly, write down a money plan for your family. It's called a budget. I want to know, how many times have you heard the word budget in a sermon in church? Be accountable for it. Keep track of your expenses. Now, in in my house, Esther does an incredible job of that. I can't get by with nothing. (laughs) Know where your money's going. Submit your plan to God. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Third, Avoid the wrong kind of debt. Years ago, I was in business in Atlanta, in this business, with a partner named Bill Keene. 
Uh, he was a valued mentor to me in the early days of my career in financial management. And the name on our Holcomb Bridge Road office was Keen and Good Financial. Now, we kept looking for Mr. Fine, but we never found him. Uh, Bill used a worksheet often with clients that, that had in the upper left-hand corner had the word G-O-O-D, the letters G-O-O-D, and on the other corner it had S-O-O-D. And I said, Bill, what, what's this about? I said, I can see my name is on the front, on the one part there. What's this sood thing? He said, it stands for get out of debt and stay out of debt. The Bible has some things to say about debt, which I'm not going to get into today. Uh, for example, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Actually, that is not in the Bible. That's from Shakespeare. Aha. Good debt. There, I think there's good debt and bad debt. Good debt may be for a house within reasonable limits. I think that makes a lot of sense. Or to start a new business if you've done your homework and figure that the cost of debt's less than what, what you'll be making. You know, good or bad debt could be buying a car with debt. Uh, avoid it if you can. Be sure that you're not all upside down the day you walk off the lot. Uh, I'll be honest, I just did that uh, because interest rates are cheap. But don't, don't do that. <clears throat> be careful with that kind of debt. Now, bad debt is credit card debt. I, I think wise, wise stewardship is to never, ever go into credit card debt. I've seen too many peoples nearly destroy their lives in this manner. It's so easy. Using that credit card is so convenient. But it carries such high cost and interest and fees. If you're tempted to put more on a credit card than you know that you can pay off at the end of the month, don't. Ask yourself, ask yourself, am I trusting my credit card more than I'm trusting God for my daily needs? Now, some of you are saying to yourself, I agree with that. And some are saying, I disagree with that. And some of you are in despair. Because you know the hole that you've gotten yourself into. <clears throat> so what do you do? What do you do? Well, first, I, I go back to my first point. Pray. Seek counsel. Ask for discipline. Ask for wisdom. And God's help. Next, go back to my second point, to that budget. Begin to put some discipline in your financial life as a family or individual. Work up a budget and stick to it. Know where every penny is going. And next, I want you to consider the final point I'll be making as I wrap up here. And that is to give. You say, what are you talking about give when I can't make ends meet now yes hear me out if you will as I bring my message to a close today on the last point so we're talking about praying seeking that relationship with God and wisdom on our money budgeting and avoiding bad debt and the fourth application I would make is is to give 
Throughout the Bible, we learn that life is about giving. God gives to us. We give back to him. We give to those in need. We give ourselves, our time, our abilities, our money, our energy. Proverbs 11.24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Whoever, this is 2 Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So, if you have much, give. If you have little, give. If you are in debt, give. I think the Bible is unambiguous on this point. Giving produces blessing and changes our hearts. A powerful way in which God can break the dark power of money in our hearts is to give. Something profound happens when we give. I truly believe that. Something profound happens when we give. Giving generously conquers financial fear. Giving is the opposite of fear. Giving says, I trust God to provide even when I cannot see how this can happen in my situation. As someone has said, you cannot outgive God. So often God is waiting, waiting for us to respond in giving so that he can bless us. Giving is a profound way for us to demonstrate that we are truly dependent on him in our materialistic culture. Now this is such an exciting and broad subject that it's going to be the subject of next week's sermon. I, I'm, I can't wait. Next week we'll explore what the Bible teaches us about the power of giving. I've entitled that The Power and Adventure of giving. Let's pray.